Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bi huda, amma ba'd. My dearly respected brothers and sisters, we continue tonight with the sharh, the explanation of Al-Ha'iyya for the great Imam Abu Bakr. Ibn Abi Dawood al-Sijistani rahimahullah. And in our last lesson, we began speaking about the principles which the scholars have set in order to extract rulings and derive rulings from. The scholars of fiqh or jurisprudence have set principles from where they take or they derive the ahkam from that which is halal and that which is haram. And there are many principles that they have set, but there are four in particular that are agreed upon by all the scholars. Four principles which we derive our ahkam from. We mentioned the first one to be what? Who can remind us? What is the first principle that we extract rulings from? Where do we take our halal and our haram from? The first was Quran, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the second, which is the one that we're discussing now, is the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So there is no difference of an opinion between the scholars of Islam that we derive rulings from the Qur'an and the Sunnah because they are both revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal. And the Shaykh got into this topic as we discussed last week and he continues and he says that in certain instances issues are mentioned in the Qur'an in a general sense. There are things that are mentioned in the Qur'an generally. For example, Allah says, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ Perform the prayer. This is a general command. But the specifics of how to perform the prayer from takbiratul ihram unto your taslim, this is not mentioned in the Qur'an. This is where the sunnah comes in play. The Sunnah explains the Qur'an. So the Shaykh is saying there are things that are left general in the Qur'an. Same thing with paying zakat, performing hajj, fasting Ramadan. These are general commands. And Allah mentions certain aspects of them in the Qur'an, but the complete way to perform the ibadah only comes through the sunnah. It was the Prophet wasallam who taught us how to pray from beginning until end. And no one else. So this shows the importance of the sunnah, my dear brothers and sisters. The sunnah explains the Qur'an. The sunnah supports the Qur'an. And Allah Azza wa Jal, He said to His Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ And we have also sent down to you, O Muhammad wasallam, the dhikr, the reminder, the advice, that you may explain clearly to men what is sent down to them. So here, in this verse, as the scholars have mentioned, there are two things Allah speaks about being sent down. There are two things Allah speaks about being sent down. Allah says, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرِ And we send down to you Muhammad wasallam the reminder. Many people might think that's talking about the Qur'an. But it's not. Allah is saying we send down the dhikr, the reminder to you لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ To clarify to mankind what was revealed to them. So if you pay attention to this verse, Allah is saying we send down to you, O Muhammad, the dhikr so that you can clarify, explain to the people what was revealed to them. So we have something sent down and something revealed. And the scholars based on this said the dhikr here is the sunnah. Allah is saying we sent down to you, O Muhammad, the sunnah so that you can explain to the people the revelation that comes down to them. So the sunnah explains the Qur'an. The sunnah explains the Qur'an. And the sunnah has a strong connection with the Qur'an because it clarifies and it explains it, giving detail to that which is general within it. As we mentioned, it explains the general meanings of the Qur'an and restricting that which is unrestricted within it. And the Shaykh says the Qur'an can be abrogated with the Sunnah. Certain verses in the Qur'an were abrogated by the Sunnah. And the opposite is true. Certain ahadith were abrogated by verses from the Qur'an. And likewise the Qur'an abrogates the Qur'an and the Sunnah can also abrogate the Sunnah. And the Shaykh says so it is important that the person has knowledge of these matters. Because a person might come across a verse or a hadith and think it still applies. When in reality it is a verse or a hadith from the Nasikh and the Mansukh, the abrogated. And the people of knowledge are aware of this. What has abrogated what from the verses and the hadiths? He says, with these aforementioned points, the lofty status of the sunnah is known in respect to the Qur'an. The status of the sunnah is known in respect to the Qur'an and it is held in high esteem in Islam. The deen holds the sunnah very high. It is the second revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal. And our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam informed us about the likes of these misguided ones, the ones who reject the sunnah. Our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah already spoke to him about them. He prophesized them. The Prophet Sallallahu knew that there will be people who come after him who reject the sunnah. As he said in the hadith, a time soon, a time is soon to come when a man replete on his couch, meaning laying back on his couch, 
will speak of my hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said. There will come a time where a man will be reclining back on his couch and he will speak about my hadith in which I have commanded and forbidden. Meaning something my hadith has made halal or haram. And then he will say, here is the book of Allah, a judge between you and me. That which we find in it which is halal, we deem it to be halal. And that which we find therein to be haram, likewise we deem it to be haram. For indeed what the Messenger of Allah has forbidden is like that which Allah has forbidden. So the Prophet ﷺ spoke about these people. There will come a time where a man will come to the hadith and he will say, he is the Qur'an. Whatever is halal in the Qur'an is halal, whatever is haram in the Qur'an is haram. In other words, we are not in need of the sunnah. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, what the Messenger of Allah ﷺ says is haram is just as Allah saying it is haram. There is no difference. Because the Prophet ﷺ does not speak from his whims and desires. He only mentions that which is revealed to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also he mentioned in the hadith, he said, I have been given the Qur'an and something similar along with it. I was given the Qur'an and something similar. What does I was given mean? Means revealed to me. So there's plenty of proof in Islam that proves that the Qur'an and the Sunnah are both revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal. And another verse which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ Many verses Allah says that He has sent down to you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the book, Al-Kitab, meaning the book, and Al-Hikmah. Look, Allah is saying He sent down two things. وَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ Allah sent down to you the book, Al-Kitab, Wal-Hikmah, wisdom. All the scholars of tafsir have agreed from the past that the word hikmah here means the sunnah. The wisdom here is the sunnah. So it is clear that Allah Azza wa Jal has sent down both. And that is why we have no room to reject the sunnah. And whoever rejects the sunnah is rejecting the Qur'an. There is no difference between the person who rejects the sunnah and the person who rejects the Qur'an. Because the Qur'an and the sunnah are both revelation from Allah that work hand in hand together. And in another verse, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ And He teaches them the book and the wisdom. Again, two things. The book, which is the Qur'an, and the wisdom which is the sunnah. And the shaykh says, what is meant by the book in this verse is the Qur'an, while the wisdom is the sunnah. The sunnah is absolutely necessary. It is the second fundamental source from among the agreed upon sources with evidence, which evidence is derived. So there's no difference of opinion that we take our ahkam, our rulings from the Qur'an, and from the sunnah. 
The Sheikh says no consideration is to be given to the difference of opinion of those who turn away from the Sunnah. Meaning the ones who say we do not need the Sunnah, their opinion is not even considered. It is absolutely rejected in Islam. Because they are from the Khawarij, the ignorant ones, those who feign knowledge. Or they are those who conceal an evil intent. The ones who reject the sunnah, they have a sick agenda. And it is to destroy the religion from within. Because by rejecting the sunnah, you are rejecting the deen. So they try to come up with false arguments to show that we are not in need of the sunnah. And this only comes from an evil disease in the heart. And a clear misguidance. Whereby they want to gradually extinguish the religion piece by piece, the Sheikh says. And no attention should be given to these individuals. Their statements should not be read. Rather, this religion is to be extracted from the pure Sunnah. And this holds true whether it be the fundamentals or the subsidiary issues. We take the Sunnah in both our Aqidah. And in our branches like fiqh, sirah, hadith, tafsir, tarikh, history, the sunnah is taken for everything. Both our fundamentals and our branches. Likewise, do not pay attention to their statement when they say that the aqidah, the creed, should not be derived from prophetic narrations unless these narrations are reported with many different routes, with varying narrators. And we touched up on this, my brothers and sisters. There are certain people who say the topic of aqidah, we can only take hadith mutawatir. Hadith mutawatir means a hadith that have a lot of chains. And if a hadith is ahad, Meaning not many chains, they reject it in aqidah. They say, yeah, we can take ahad hadith in fiqh, sirah, uh, uh, tarikh and whatever else. But when it comes to aqidah, the hadith must be mutawatir. And this is rubbish. Because as we will see, the a'imma have all said that as long as the hadith is sahih, it is sufficient for us. As long as the hadith is sahih, it is sufficient and it does not matter or concern whether the hadith came on many chains or even one chain. As long as it is authentic, then this is from the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal. They say that only the subsidiary issues of the religion can be supported by narrations which are not reoccurring because according to them, they are speculative proofs. They say if a hadith is ahad, it is dhanni, meaning speculative. The sheikh says we respond to them that the speculation is with you. It's not in the religion. This speculation is from your own mind and your own heart. Because with the people of truth, these narrations are not based upon speculation. The hadith that has one chain with the people of truth is not based upon speculation Rather, rather, they are that which benefit yaqeen, certainty. We do not look at them as speculation. We look at them as yaqeen, which is 
certainty as long as they are authentically established to be from the Prophet ﷺ, then they are considered to be knowledge and not based upon speculation. And that's why Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, the great Imam, he said, إِذَا صَحَّ الْحَدِيثِ فَهُوَ مَذْهَبِي If the hadith is found to be sahih, it is my way. He did not put a condition if it's mutawatir, if it's ahad, no. He said if it's authentic, that's all that matters. If it's authentic, then it is my path. Rather the Islamic belief and rulings on social interactions and anything else can be derived from narrations that are not greatly reoccurring as long as they are authentic. So that's the second principle that we extract ruling from. And there's no khilaf. The Qur'an, we take the rulings from the Qur'an. The Sunnah, we take the rulings from the Sunnah. The third one, my brothers and sisters, as the Shaykh mentions here, is Al-Ijma'. Al-Ijma'a means the consensus of the scholars. This is also from the proofs that we extract rulings from, and there is no difference of opinion on this also. And what is meant by ijma' or consensus of the scholars? Or what's the dalil for it first and foremost? Allah mentions it in the Qur'an. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَمَن يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولَ مِن بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَى وَيَتَّبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ, غير سبيل الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah says, and whoever contradicts and opposes, look, whoever contradicts and opposes the Messenger وسلم, after the right path has been shown clearly to him, and then Allah says, and follows other than the believer's way. That's the warning there. He follows other than the believer's way. So if the believers have agreed on a way, that's the ijma'. And Allah is saying, whoever follows other, their, other than their way, we shall keep him in the path he has chosen and burn him in hellfire. So this verse here is speaking about the ijma' because it's talking about turning away from the way of the believers. And how do we know the way of the believers? It's what they've agreed upon. It's what they have agreed upon. And in the hadith, the Prophet wasallam, he said, Allah will not unite my ummah upon misguidance. My ummah, Allah will not unite it upon misguidance. The Shaykh says the verbal consensus is that which is taken as absolute proof. Because there's two types of ijma'. There's the verbal ijma'. And then there's the affirmation ijma'. Okay? And what's the difference between the two? The Sheikh mentions here. There's a verbal and there's a silent consensus. The silent consensus is considered to be speculative proof. Because there could be an opposition to this consensus. However, it has not become clear. However, if the scholars anonymously take a position and there is no one in, a, in opposition to it, then it is absolute proof.
Okay. Now here the Sheikh is teaching us the difference between the two types of ijma. You have consensus by word, verbal consensus, and you have silent consensus. Verbal consensus is where the scholars have actually spoken about a matter and have all agreed upon it. When the scholars speak about a matter and they openly have agreed upon that matter, that's called the verbal ijma'. That's the ijma' which is absolute proof. You're not allowed to go against the verbal ijma' of the a'imma, of the scholars. As for the silent ijma', it's when we find that the scholars remain silent on a point, or they spoke and there was not known to be anyone who opposed them. It's like something agreed upon because no one went against that view. So it wasn't necessarily spoken, but it's just something that they're known to have agreed upon through silence, and there was no one that was known to oppose that view. The first ijma' is stronger than the second one. Even though the second one's also considered ijma', but the second one is a little bit weaker because there is the possibility of there being people who opposed it that we don't know of. Because it's always stronger when you affirm something with your mouth than when you remain silent on its approval. This is why. So these are the three sources. You can call them the sources which Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah take their rulings from. The first is the Qur'an, the second is the Sunnah, the third is the Ijma', the fourth one is Al-Qiyas. Al-Qiyas is the analytical deduction, where they derive the rulings based on analogy. This is called Qiyas. And this point, inshallah, we will speak about in our next lesson, and we will see how some of the ulama differed regarding this point, even though it is accepted by the wide, vast imma of the scholars, that it is the fourth principle in how we derive rulings from in Islam. Wallahu a'lam, wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. This program was presented by Al-Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah.